ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode or ideas for future episodes, please contact us. There are two easy ways to do so. You can telegram us and the number... I don't know what a telegram How do you address what? would be. I, yeah, I... Would it be like Chris Bergwald, Sioux Falls, South Dakota? Postmaster General, Dakota Territory. <laughs> no. um, how about email? Okay, that's easy. I, I know the email address. Okay. Ignition at sfcatholic.org. Or you can tweet at us. Um, it's at sfdiocese. And use the hashtag ignition to get the tweet properly routed to... Well, me. Uh, again, my name is Dr. Chris Bergwald. I am the Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Catholic Diocese of Sioux Falls. Been in this role since 2002. Uh, more importantly, I husband to Jermaine for 19 years as of this recording and father to our five children. And across the table from me here in the studio is Father Joseph Schulten. Father, would you mind introducing yourself a bit to our listeners? Hello. Father Joseph Schulten, priest for the say, diocese. They of can't answer back, Sioux Father. Falls. The way you said hi there was like they can't answer back. Do you oh. it's right. All right. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're listening to me. I don't know what to say. <laughs> priest of the diocese of Sioux Falls. That's uh, me. Hometown. I'm here. I'm from here in Sioux Falls, lovely Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I uh, I serve at St. Lambert Parish here in town as well as O'Gorman Catholic High School. Excellent. Studied in Rome. At the Jesuit-run university, the Gregoriana. That's right. Did other things too. Did other things too. But tried to study. Tried to study. <laughs> Figured, why not? Yeah. Um, I've I've mentioned before with Father Schulten on air. I, there's a there's a little friendly rivalry between the Gregorian and the Angelicum, which is where I went to school in Rome. Um, his is run by the Jesuits. Mine is was run by the Dominic is run by the Dominicans. It's just a little friendly rivalry between. Uh, those who attended those two august institutions of higher Catholic learning. Mm -hmm. Fair enough? Yeah. Okay. One's higher than the other. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, Father and I today are going to be continuing a series that we've been doing on a, a great book by Dr. P Brand Petrie. Dr. Petrie is a scripture scholar um, who's written a number of fine texts, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. Father, have you read that book by I've chance? Not, no. Uh, it's a fantastic book. I hear book. good things. Yeah, the biblical origins of the Mass um, in the Old Testament, as well as what scholars call the intertestamental period. Father, what's the intertestamental period? Do you know? That's. Um, I know you went to the Greg, but I did. you know. <laughs> kind of sounds like a term from your biology class, but uh, it's referring to the sort of the the, uh, the time period between um, so the, the Hellenistic and then early Roman rule, if you want to put political. Hellenistic uh, meeting the Greek when when the Greek kings <clears throat> ruled uh, ruled the land of Israel and mm -hmm. surrounding regions, and then when the Romans took over. So okay. um, basically, the Old Testament, at least the history in the Old Testament, uh, takes us up into um, the Maccabean revolt, which of right. course was a revolt against the uh, of the the Greek speaking dynasty that was ruling uh, the land of Israel at the time. But then, of course, we pick up with the New Testament, and all of a sudden. 
the um, the Romans are running the show, and right. Greeks aren't, or the Jews aren't in charge of their own country anymore. Right. So some things happened in between. What there. happened? Yeah, yeah. and uh, and intertestamental refers to basically that that Be- time period because it's yeah. between the two testaments. Right. Intertestamental, right? Between the Old and the New Testaments. Right. So uh, that's a great book by by Dr. Petrie. This one, though, is the case for Jesus, which is about establishing the historical nature of the of, of the Gospels. Uh, in our previous episode in this series, we we spent well the entire episode really looking at how the the Gospels really are biographies. Um, how they they um, they they tell us about what Jesus really did and said. Because the, the important thing to discuss, because a lot of um, Scripture scholarship over the last several decades uh, was calling that into question. It seems, Father, my observation, just a little bit I dabble in contemporary Scripture scholarship, is there's an increasing recognition uh, returning to the traditional Christian belief that the the Gospels, in fact, are biographies. Dr. Dr. Petrie is not unique in that position. Right, right. N.T. Wright has done some great work in that same regard, uh, getting into ancient biographical literature and showing a lot of those parallels uh, which we delved into last time. Right, right. great. So um, what are we going to be looking at today? Looking at, uh, again, we're, we're sort of riffing off of what Dr. Petrie discusses in his book, The Case for Jesus. Where are we going today? Well, today I'd like to talk about dating. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and just to be clear, you're a priest. That's right. And, That's and, right. and you want to talk about dating. Well, I really, yeah, I just, I okay. think it's an important topic and it's All something right. we ought to... You know, you've you've got a teenage daughter. You know, I, it's true. I think if I were dead, my my rule would be no dating until after you're married, <laughs> <laughs> just to be safe. So arranged marriages is is the way you would go. <laughs> that doesn't, I mean, it's, would you rather have a surprise marriage? <laughs> Some cultures that can happen. Um, if I if if we had sound effects, it'd be the did it did. Right there for father. <laughs> well done. No drummers. No, no. In the studio no here. Drummers in just the studio. Us just and Tim. Just us theologians <laughs> and engineers. Okay, so uh, I'm guessing we're not. It's not Saint Valentine's Day. I'm guessing this is not what you have in mind. Probably not. Let's talk about the dating of the Gospels. Oh, okay. when were they written? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have an idea. Okay, so dating the Gospels when they were written. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, just, why is that important? What does well, it matter? Are you going to trust a, a biography of John F. Kennedy uh, that was written in 1975, uh, or one that was you know written 100 years from now? You know, there's. Uh, okay, that's a bit of an extreme example, but 100 years from now, nobody's going to be alive that saw or knew. President gotcha. Kennedy, sure, right? Versus one that was written in the seventies or even today can draw on primary sources in a way, uh, okay, in a way that anything beyond then can't, okay, right? So, so looking at when the Gospels were written uh, is important when we're talking about how they are historically reliable. Yeah, exactly. If these are ancient biographies, which you know the case that seems to be, the evidence seems to say yes, they are, and if they're claiming to report history, uh, then it matters that they be relatively close to the events that they purport to record, record, right? Now, the John F. Kennedy example, if somebody were to write a new biography right now, um, even though, you know, we're, we're decades removed from the, from the Kennedy presidency, uh, that wouldn't be a reason to, to say, oh, well, they don't know what they're talking about because that was in the 60s and, you know. Right. Right. So you can be decades away from, uh, from an event and still have a, a great degree of reliability, 
Um, but at a certain point, all of the eyewitnesses are going to be dead. Right. So the, the historical reliability gets called into question. Yes. On that real quick, Father, it seems to me that um, actually, think about, say, say a news event, um, and the immediate reporting of the news event oftentimes just gives us the bare bones and basics. Yes. But, but the account that the, there's, we, the definitive biography right. or the definitive account of such and such oftentimes does take a while to compile. I mean, somebody is going to set, set out to write uh, – a comprehensive account of, of John F. Kennedy's assassination might have to wait several years or even decades to do a thorough job. Right, right. So, yeah, for example, the uh, now this is a bit of a controversial example, I guess, but but the nine eleven report, right, right, was uh, was I believe several years right, after right. after nine eleven. It didn't come out in November of two thousand one. Correct. You know, it takes time to compile to um, to look at the story, the event from many different angles. And to dig deep into what happened to give the most thorough and accurate uh, description possible. Which is not to say that sort of on-the-spot reporting is not necessarily accurate, but you get a more complete picture given some time lag between the events themselves exactly. and the documents. Exactly. The other thing too, just before we dive into this dating of the Gospels, my recollection was, we were talking last time about the parallel between the Gospels and other ancient biographies, but it, but it wasn't uncommon for um, biographies to be written in the ancient world sometime after um, their subject had lived and died, was it? I mean, that's my recollection. I don't know if you... Right. I mean, it could be a student writing about a, <laughs> writing about a teacher or a... Right. Um, yeah. So, so, so the gospels. Okay, as we'll see, they are fitting within the ancient genre of a biography. Yes. Okay. Yep. So, but uh, so, the, so the challenge. Why, why, uh, why talk about this? I think would be a good place to okay. a Please. good place to go um, because there's a theory. Just as there's a sort of some theories thrown around that the gospels aren't really biographies. They're not really history. They're something like folklore or or fable. Uh, moral tale. Once upon a time. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, here's a story to give us a good moral message, even though that didn't actually happen. Um, uh, similar to that, one theory about the the origin of the Gospels, you know, when and how they were written, is that they were they were compiled at the very end of the first century. So um, that'd be around 100. Right, around okay. the year 100 or, or thereafter, and only after a long period in which uh, tales and and stories about Jesus were transmitted person to person, orally, kind of like a game of telephone. That's a it's an analogy that's that's used, unfortunately. So what? So the game. Just in case somebody's like, "What do you mean the game? Telephones? What you talk on? What do you mean the game of telephone?" Right. You know the game you played when you were kids when you sat in a circle or you stood in a line and then somebody said something, came up with a sentence, and then they passed it and whispered it one ear to the other until okay. you get to the very end. And, and it's totally, and it's totally different. Right? Garbled from right. the original. Okay. Right. Okay. So right. so there's a theory that in essence, uh, a scholarly theory that the gospels are like. The telephone, game. right, right. That these stories have been expanded and 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 morphed and uh, exaggerated from person to person until they reach the author, and then the author sort of puts these all together, and and it doesn't very closely resemble what actually happened, if anything at all. So obviously, there that theory is casting doubt or denying the historical veracity, the historical character of the gospel. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that's the theory that you believe. Is that the case then? No. Oh. <laughs> Not in the least. 
I don't know what they taught you up at the Angelica. Well, but I, I, I said what they, you believe the gray. <laughs> I mean, no, I, the Angelica. Anyway. <laughs> so that's a theory that's out there. Right, right. But as we'll see, uh, there's not a good reason to believe that's how the Gospels were actually compiled. Um, we've gone in, in previous episodes over reasons that the Gospels should be treated as, as eyewitness accounts or based on eyewitness accounts and uh, why they should be treated as biographies. Let's talk about why we should believe uh, or why, what the evidence is that they're that they're relatively early. Okay, so if, in case you're just tuning in, I'm Dr. Chris Bergwald, and I'm with Father Joseph Schulten, and we're talking about the Gospels as historically accurate, true, reliable documents based on Dr. Rat Petrie's book, um, "The Case for Jesus." So we're, we're we're talking today about the dating of the Gospels, and and we're just about to dive into the evidence for when the Gospels were dated. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'd just like to focus in on on one particular date, one particular event that really this entire discussion hinges on. Okay. And that's the uh, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 AD. Okay. That historically that happened. If you go to Jerusalem today, you'll notice that there's no temple there. Right. Uh, at a certain point that ceased to exist. Right. And that's when the Romans destroyed it. In the year 70 AD, and that's uh, that's corroborated by outside sources right. and other accounts. Um, it's a historical event. It's well documented, and we know that it took place in that year. Okay, you know I, the um, I'm going to embarrass myself. I try to recall which governor or which Roman emperor was which, but I think Vespasian. I think so. And uh, and then Titus. Titus was the general, right, at the time. Yeah, who went on yeah. to become emperor himself. Yeah, but he's the general yeah. who was in charge of the the um, surrounding of Jerusalem. What do you call that? The siege. The siege of Jerusalem and then its destruction. Well, it's the city. Yeah. Yeah. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed a little bit later. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, So we could be way off there, but in any case, temple was destroyed 70 AD. We know that. And that uh, becomes the main argument for, uh, Against the Gospels being written early on. Right? Okay. And here's why. Jesus predicts that. In all of the Gospels, Jesus predicts that the temple is going to be destroyed. Okay. Right. So I'll just read one, but um, if you're interested, it's in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 19. Um, I guess it's probably not in John. Sorry. Okay. But all the synoptic Gospels. Okay. Um, and here's here's the account in Luke. Okay. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's speaking to his, uh, to his disciples. He says, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea, that's the region of Jerusalem, surrounding region of Jerusalem, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. And uh, and it goes on and speaks about people falling by the sword and Jerusalem being trodden down by the Gentiles, that is the, the pagans, the non-Jews. Okay, so Jesus predicts that the temple is going to be destroyed. Okay. Right? Now, the argument is that since Jesus uh, predicts the destruction of the temple. In the Gospels. In the Gospels. Um, especially since he did, he predicts it in a very detailed way. For example, in 
Matthew, he describes, you know, uh, siege works being thrown up around it in the particular manner in which it's going to be destroyed. The argument is that, uh, that that's not a prophecy. That's someone writing later, putting words into Jesus' mouth. Okay. Um, maybe Jesus referred to or alluded to the temple coming down, uh, but surely he didn't predict the way in which it would happen. Surely he didn't speak about it in this detailed way. If there are details that seem to match history, they have to be written after the fact. This which, is the, argue, this this is the, is the argument. argument against the, the gospels being written um, earlier. Okay. Right. That, uh, that since Matthew and Luke especially are, are very detailed, uh, but even since, even if it mentions, some would say, even though even if Mark mentions the destruction of the temple, it has to be a a later uh, a later addition or a later okay. um, piece of writing. Um, so, what's the big assumption there? Um, that prophecy is impossible. Yeah. That yeah. Okay. That Jesus couldn't have predicted the destruction of the temple. Okay. Right. Um, it's sort of an a priori or a. a an initial assumption that that Jesus uh, could not have spoken about something that was going to happen if it hadn't happened yet, and so this is so it's an assumption against. Uh, it, so this goes back to because I think you, um, the pre last episode in this series we talked about the mul- multiplication of the loaves and you talked about how sometimes sometimes that's interpreted just to be about in the importance of sharing. Um, our belongings with others, which presumes that it's impossible for something miraculous like the loaves and fishes to actually be multiplied to feed thousands, that, that something supernatural like that is impossible. Similarly here, the same right. thing, right? Right, that exactly. Something, um, like predicting something that's, that's decades away um, with accuracy is impossible. That's just an assumption that, well, things like that can't really happen, therefore they don't ever happen, right? Is that what you're saying? Or yes. That? Okay. Okay. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so if that's your assumption, well, then of course you have to say the Gospels are written after seventy A.D. Okay. Right. Um, because they describe this event that's already taken place. Okay. Uh, but if you approach it, I think with with an open mind, just willing, being willing to judge based on the evidence that's there, uh, there's more evidence that points to the gospel is actually being written prior to 70 AD. Okay. Regarding the same <clears throat> prophecies. Okay. But let me, let me first jump forward a little bit. Okay. Right. Let's move away from the temple for a second and look at another prophecy that happens in the acts of the apostles. Okay. Right. We'll look at acts uh, chapter 11, verse 27. Okay. okay? The, uh, the church is in, this is describing the life of the church in Antioch one of the earliest Christian communities. And uh, there's just these, a couple of short verses, you know, three or four verses describing some, some of the early Christians in Antioch. Okay. Um, now, in, so this is eleven twenty seven, chapter uh, 11 of Acts of the Apostles. Remember, same author as the Gospel of Luke. Okay. And he writes, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of, the, one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. The disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brethren who lived in Judea, and they did so. Right? Uh, so we have this little mention, just a couple verses of a famine. So a prophet, an early Christian uh, with, the, with the gift of prophecy, prof- uh, prophesied this event that would take place. It took place, and then the disciples did something about it. Okay. okay. 
that's kind of cool. I mean, it's an interesting historical yep. detail. And Luke says, Luke, Luke specifically looks back and says, this happened, right? He prophesied it and then it took place. And then he even gives us uh, a sort of historical reference, the days of Claudius. So, we, you know, someone reading this might think, might look back and say, oh yeah, I remember hearing about that famine or, oh yeah, I remember it. Those are pretty bad days. Right. Right. <laughs> so he gives us kind of a, a bookmark. Okay. Right. Now, when Jesus does that, when Jesus prophesies, there's nothing in the gospel of Luke that says these words of Jesus were fulfilled when the temple was destroyed. And, now, and, and because we do find sort of parenthetical remarks like that by the gospel writers um, in certain instances. Absolutely. Absolutely. For example, when Jesus speaks about uh, the temple, he, he says, tear down this temple and in, and in three days I will raise it. And it says he was speaking about the temple of his body. Right. And then when he was raised from the, from the dead, it says his disciples remembered that he had said this. Right. So there's, there's, a, there's a reference to the prophecy of Jesus that takes place and then is fulfilled. And the, the evangelist, the author of the gospel, wants to point that out and say, Jesus talk, talked about this. And then it happened. Right, okay? right. And the apostles remembered what he said when it right, happened. Right, right. Exactly. You, so your point here, though, is in, in these um, references to the destruction of Jerusalem, there's no parenthetical remark like that saying, and that when this came to pass, the, the disciples remembered what Jesus said. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Now, now, but Luke is, again, very, he's very historically minded. We went over some of the details of the historical details that were very accurate in his, in his gospel and in the Acts of the Apostles. Okay. And again, there's that prophecy of Agabus. Now, I'm sure Agabus is a great guy. <laughs> he was, you know, he had the spirit of prophecy. He's probably a pretty holy, prayerful dude. Okay. But uh, he's a relatively minor figure right. in the uh, grand right. scheme of Christianity. <laughs> right. And yet Luke is very careful to say he predicted this and then it happened. Jesus is kind of a bigger deal than Agabus. <laughs> kind of, yes. At least from a Christian standpoint. Right. <laughs> so if he had predicted this major event in the history of world religion and politics that was then fulfilled to the letter, don't you think Luke, in the effort to convince people about Jesus, would say, you guys, this took place. Right. Jesus talked about it. But there's nothing. It just stands there as this prophecy. And in fact... Jesus' words contain contain warnings that don't make sense if the event has already taken place. Why would Luke include these words of Jesus? You know, Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart it. Let those who are out in the country not enter it. Mm. Right? So he records the instructions of Jesus. And then elsewhere, I think it's in Matthew, as, as Jesus is describing the destruction of the temple, he says, it includes the words, you know, pray that it doesn't happen in winter. Right. Right. Why would the gospel writers include these, these sayings of Jesus to, to pray that it not happen in winter when, it plus, in, when in fact it took place in the summer of right. AD 70? Right. right. It's historical fact. Right. Again, from outside sources. Yeah. Right. Um, and again, why would Luke or the other writers not say, Jesus predicted this and it happened. See, he's really the Messiah. He was really telling the truth. So, because so stepping back here, just to to reset where we're at, there's this argument that the Gospels were all written after 70 AD, right? At, uh, closer to the, actually just around a year, the year 100. Mm -hmm. But the point that we're making here is, if they had been written after, why is there never any? And what Jesus predicted did in fact come to pass. 
uh, because the, the, this presumption is that they're written later. So the, the absence of any parenthetical remark by the author of the Gospels, authors of the Gospels, um, is itself a, a hint, um, a strong hint that, that maybe they were written before 78. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, do we have time to include one other? Uh, yeah, we've got, we've got about three more minutes. Okay. The same argument. So, you know, we talked about the destruction of the temple, a historical event that took place. Another historical event that took place was the martyrdom, the execution uh, under the Emperor Nero of Peter and Paul. Mm. And that was in 62 AD. Okay. Okay. Luke, author of the gospel, also wrote the Acts of the Apostles, as recorded in the first chapter of Acts. Okay. Uh, Luke doesn't mention anything about the martyrdom of Peter and Paul, mm. even though that's a pretty significant event in the right. life of the early church. Right. And martyrdom is important to Luke. He shows parallels between the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr in Jerusalem, and the death of Christ. Mm. And so if, if, that, if he does so for Stephen, why doesn't he do so for Peter or Paul? Right. You know, these even greater disciples who knew, at least in the case of Peter, knew Jesus. Um, he doesn't do that. He ends, when, when the Acts of the Apostles ends, uh, Peter, uh, Paul is, is alive and, and working in Rome. Right. And uh, some would say that he's just trying to show the gospel getting to Rome, but that can't be true. When, Peter, when Paul arrived, the gospel was already in Rome. He yep. was met by Christians there. Right. Right. And so I think the best explanation is that Luke was writing Acts of the Apostles while Paul was still alive. Right. And, and then he, he wrote, go ahead. And he published it and sent it out. And, and so then, if he wrote Acts while Paul was still alive, he must have written, must the, have written gospel. the gospel. Because Acts clearly says that it was written after, after. the right. gospel. And there's no evidence internally. There's no evidence that that's not the case. There's no reason not to take Luke at his word when he says exactly. it was written. Okay. Exactly. Okay. okay. So we got about a minute or so left, Father. So the bottom line, this point for us here. Yeah. Bottom line, uh, the only the only date that's used to date uh, the Gospels late, later in the first century, is is the destruction of the temple. But if you look at all of the evidence, it seems that they were written more likely that they were written before the temple was destroyed, probably before uh, before Peter and Paul were executed in 62 A.D., which puts us very close. To the time of Jesus. So this gets back to um, the historical reliability of the Gospels. And I should point out, I think, wouldn't it be, even if they were written around 100, that's not ridiculous. Right, and that's the claim for the Gospel of John. Right. But it's very reasonable that a man who was alive uh, in 33 AD could be writing in the year 100. And that's what all the church fathers who write about the, the Gospels and their origins say, that John was the last one to write, and he lived a very long time. Okay, so. but Matthew, Mark, and Luke... The evidence that we've been looking at here, at least, among other things, seems to point to an earlier dating for those three Gospels. Right. And therefore, they are historically reliable texts because they were written within just a few decades, right. likely, right. of the Gospels. And if they had been making stuff up, there would have been plenty of people around to say, hey, that didn't happen. Right. You know? If and they yeah. had talked about the resurrection and there wasn't an empty tomb in Jerusalem, then they wouldn't have gotten away with it. Amen. And there are no such things, no such uh, 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 reports, and therefore the Gospels are historically reliable.
And that wraps up this episode of Ignition. Again, email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org with any questions or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.